Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 63 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's the first ever video podcast that we're doing for Solopreneur Grind. So I'm super excited to have with us today, Ryan James Miller, who is a business coach and consultant. We'll get into a lot more details on that. Ryan, really appreciate you coming on the show today. What's up, Josh? Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's, it's our pleasure. Really interested to hear more about your story. Love the background. Love the, uh, love the whiteboard. Uh, <laughs> could you please tell us a little bit more about who Ryan James Miller is? Oh, man. We could go on for days. It's ugly. It's a, it's a big question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so present day, um, I, uh, I am a husband to a wife of uh, 19 years. Uh, I have two daughters that are 18 and 10. Uh, that's a whole lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Could be a whole episode right there. Yeah, yeah in, uh, in in days of uh, quarantine and close quarters, it gets more challenging. Uh, I am a pastor of a small church in Fullerton, California. I've been doing that since 2012. Uh, and then professionally, I started my business in 2011 after actually getting laid off of a large publicly traded company. Uh, due to financial cuts that were being made. And uh, so I started a business uh, in the sales world, speaking, coaching, training, consulting, and figured it out from there through uh, a a significant number of bumps and bruises. Uh, I feel like we're in another one of those cycles now, but uh, but we'll just see. But yeah, today, I mean, I I coach uh, traditionally uh, high-performing entrepreneurs, salespeople, C-level executives, uh, and then I consult uh, a, large, uh, a lot of organizations on sales business development strategy and then do speaking on everything from what people would consider motivational kind of keynotes to workshops and seminars. Very cool. There, there's yeah. a lot to dive into there. Yeah. I will quickly note, it, I will date this episode April 1st, 2020, not because it's April Fool's, but because yeah. we are mid-quarantine. So uh, just for people listening in the future, that, that, those were the bumps that, uh, that Ryan was referring to. Ryan, I'd love to hear more about what you were doing in that corporate job leading up to 2011. And and then, you know, we can get into kind of the entrepreneurial journey. But what was it that you started out your career doing or or were doing in that role? Yeah, so uh, I actually started in sales uh, in 1998. Uh, that was the result of I was working in a warehouse uh, for a, like a performance parts company in the automotive industry, uh, was getting dirty all the time, didn't like it. I saw all these clean people inside <laughs> and I just wanted to get clean. You know, I just wanted air yeah. conditioning. I didn't want to be in a sweaty warehouse. It took me six months to convince the owner at that time uh, to let me get a job. So I started an inside sales role there, probably mid-1998. Uh, that carried me on to the automotive industry. Uh, on into uh, the final uh, employed job I had uh, was uh, for a large document management and print company. So a company that used to do blueprints for the construction industry uh, became a, you know, a digital translation of those documents and transmission. And so I went to work there uh, during the time I worked there, which was 2006 to 2011. Uh, They went from a very successful 60-year family-owned business to a publicly traded company. Um, And through that time, 
Um, I grew from a top performing salesperson in the organization to a regional sales manager. I was actually in a leadership development program and management training program that I was going to be sent out to one of our other 200 some odd divisions to run one of those divisions somewhere across the country. Um, and then as we all know, the, uh, the recession of 2008 hit and it did just an absolute disaster to our business um, for a lot of reasons, but being publicly traded, unfortunately, you often answer to investors. And uh, so that's what they were doing towards the end there. And when the stock price fell from 35 down to about seven, um, I mean, it was just absolute carnage. And I was actually, I was put back into sales. I had some leadership responsibility, but was selling and um, I was, I was the top salesperson and I was actually cut as a result of being a top earner. And uh, so it was a good financial decision for them at the time, but, uh, you know, it caused me to have to pivot. Right. Well, before we get into the, that next step, I'd love to hear more about your experience with sales. And maybe if you could talk about what you think led to that success, right? Because even before the entrepreneurial journey started, it sounds like you were doing very well for yourself. You, you were very good at sales, uh, which all of our entrepreneurs, solopreneurs uh, are going to have to do at least a little bit uh, in their journey. So I always find when I have guests that are good at sales, I definitely want to spend some time talking about that too. Yeah. Um, you know, so <clears throat> it's interesting because uh, I would have said during that entire time of my career, uh, even after I'd gotten laid off, that the reason that I was good at sales uh, was because of my personality, that I'm a outspoken extrovert. I, I have no problem getting in front of people. Um, I don't love rejection, but I can deal with it. Uh, I knew how to convince people to get them to the place I wanted them to go in terms of, you know, you, you have some uh, implied need. I can figure out a way to make the solution work for you. So <clears throat> I, I, I very much believed that was the reason why I was successful was because of who I was made to be um, in the kind of quote unquote character traits of a salesperson. Um, as I look back now and have a better understanding for what it really means to sell, uh, I don't believe that any of that played a role. Um, hmm. As a matter of fact, a lot of those things I think actually hindered me from becoming more successful than I was. Um, what, what I really believe it was, was two things. Uh, one was I was always willing to just bear my soul and be myself. And I've got, definitely gotten better about that over time, um, that willingness to just kind of be open and transparent. But I was always just very honest with people about the reality of what I was trying to do and where I was trying to go. But the second thing was, was I was, um, I, I was very much focused on people. And um, even when I was trying to close a sale to, for my own good and my own goal, I always had a those people in mind, like their budget, their uh, business need, their personal challenge that they were overcoming. So I was willing to sit and listen to them, to talk with them, to spend time with them. And so I was building community and building relationships. And, and so because there, was, there became this like common ground that we could sit on, which was, I'm just going to be me, you're just going to be you, and we're going to figure out a way to get through this together. Um, then people were just attracted to that in me. And so they were willing to give me a shot. They were willing to give me their business. They were willing to, 
stay with me if I made a mistake or if the company that I was working for delivered a bad product or service. Like I was able to overcome a lot of those challenges. And really that's, that's how I was able to get into business, even though it was really, really hard. It was, those are the same character traits that, that really helped me become successful in business. So it wasn't what a lot of people say is, is the necessity to sales. I think it's, it's something that in many ways is a total mindset shift um, that uh, it took me a long time to realize. Got it. And, and we'll probably get back into the topic of sales as, as we get in, into your businesses, but that makes a lot of sense and really interesting to note how your kind of mindset for what you thought caused that success really changed as, as you grew and, and learned as a person. So you get laid off, which I still think is a little ironic that they fire someone because they cost a lot of money, but it's the person who might be making them the most amount of money. So chicken or the egg. But uh, so what happens next, right? You get fired. It's the middle of the recession. What were you thinking? You know, was it totally a surprise? Did you take some time off to kind of recoup? Like what, what was that reaction? And I think this answer will be especially fitting given what we're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was, I was absolutely blown away. I mean, my, it was a Monday morning. My boss called me into uh, his office uh, and we sit down and, uh, it was about 30 miles away from where I officed. So I was in our corporate office and, um, he says, Hey, he goes, uh, I brought you in this morning to let you know that I have to let you go. And I was like, come on, man, like quit messing with me. Like I got work to do. I got clients to go see, like, I don't have time for this garbage this morning. And he's like, no, 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 I, I really have to let you go. And so I took a second. Um, I had grown a lot kind of personally in those last couple of years. So I was able to collect myself. And I said, look, man, I said, I think I'm your best salesperson. I said, but I said, you have a decision to make. And really, I knew that was just from the top, just trickling down. He was a yes man at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I just took it and I said, okay, thank you. Um, and he was waiting for an argument. He actually said, what, you don't, you're not going to like disagree with me. I said, no, I, I said my piece, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just going to go about my business. And I called my wife on the way home who at that time, our daughters would have been probably gosh, uh, two and nine. So nine and two, uh, my wife stayed at home, uh, no job. Um, we had a mortgage and when I called her, she just broke down crying. And I said to her, I said, look at, I said, we just have to trust that God has provided for us to this point. And so if that's the case, as much as we don't like what's about to happen, we just need to believe that it's going to work out. Um, so I started interviewing for jobs right away. I thought I would do that first. Um, a couple months in, or no, about a month in, probably about three weeks in, I went home to her one day after interviewing for a large organization, uh, a really large national company for a sales position. And I just said, you know what? I said, I just don't think that I can go work for anybody else. I think that this is just the time that I find it. Cause I'd always felt like one day I would do that. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned uh, multiple businesses. And so um, she was fully in support of that. Well, right about that time, a friend of mine came to me and he actually said, Hey, he says, why don't you come work for us? They were a competitor to the company I'd gotten laid off from. Uh, he says, we can do the same thing here. And I'm like, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay, fine. So I actually did that for six months. Uh, it was the, one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, um, I won't Why get into too that? many. Well, I won't get into too many details right. because people can go look at my job history. <laughs> right. But um, uh, they were not what they said they were. 
and it was apparent very quickly. Uh, not my friend. My uh, my friend actually had had the wool pulled over his eyes too. Uh, it just it just wasn't an organization I was going to work for. Right. Uh, and so six months went back out on my own. And so probably November December of 2011 is when my wife and I together decided that we were going to give it a go. What was craziest was um, by that time because of uh, a month off because of changing jobs, taking a bit of a pay cut, um, going back to then another month off. By the time I started my business, and we were not uh, wise spenders or savers at that time. I just, I, I didn't have a dad in my life at that time. I just didn't have a lot of good guidance financially. And so when I started my business, we had $500 in our checking account. We had no savings account. We had no 401k. I had no wealthy family. Uh, and I had a mortgage that was due right within a couple of weeks and I had, I had to put food on the table. And wow. so for me, um, uh, it was go time, right? I had no choice but to make this work because if not, things were going to get a lot uglier than they were at that moment. Right. That's a good segue. Uh, so so, <laughs> so what, what did you decide in terms of, did you have a business idea in mind, business plan, um, talking to clients, you know, t take us to, to that stage? Yeah, so uh, I had an idea. Uh, there was a man that actually I'm still connected to to this day. He was a corporate trainer for us at that big company I worked for. And I loved when he came in and he taught and he was like so zen. And it was all about productivity and time management and individual uh, leadership and uh, like sales awareness, but more from like the mindset perspective before mindset was a cool thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I like, I wanted to do that. And I had always been an outspoken leader and I had done some like training, but you know, just kind of like internally. And so I, I, that's what I felt I wanted to do. The problem was, is you just can't do that day one. So uh, as I was trying to kind of figure out my business model, I was just picking up work wherever I could. And one of the easiest things that I was able to do was because I came from the printing industry is I started brokering printing work. So, I mean, mm. t-shirts, business cards, flyers, like you name it, I was brokering work for it. And the thing that was so brutal and I finally had to cut myself off from doing it was, is I was hustling my ass off to, to make 10% profit on a hundred dollar, you know, print job. Like that just wasn't going to pay the bills and yet it was taking so much work. Right. Um, but that gave us a little bit of cushion. And as that was happening, then I would just, I was going to colleagues, friends, and I'm like, look at, like, I can help you with sales. I can, I can help you come up with a strategy. And I was doing it for whatever they would pay me. Like in the beginning, it was just, I, I will do anything that you ask. I will do my best at it. You just give me what you think you can. So I still have some of those agreements. Uh, from, you know, 2012. And they're crazy because, yeah. you know, it's things that this is not a brag. This is just the reality. Like, I mean, I was probably, you know, charging at times 5% of what uh, I'm able to charge sometimes now. And a lot of times I was actually doing far more than than I that I'm even doing now for for so much less. So yeah, it was crazy. Right. Yeah. So it, it sounds like the business almost took a natural, you know, it naturally kind of evolved, like you started with kind of what you had to do and then mm -hmm. you still kind of had to do what you had to do for whatever people would be willing to pay but then it sort of evolved into what you were really good at stuff like sales um, which is something that has a pretty clear value to people because you can see a numerical output from from those efforts yeah so at that point 
like, what was it? Because it's easy to say, you know, I went in and I basically offered to help them uh, for whatever they could give me. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend to people starting out right now? Like if, if they're starting out similar situation to you and maybe they have a really strong skill in sales or maybe it's accounting or web development or whatever, would you recommend taking that approach to going, finding some clients and saying, hey, I'll do whatever the heck you need related to this that I'm really good at, you pay me what you want, or would you have taken a different approach looking back? Yeah. So, so let me be, let me be transparently honest. So, you know, you dated this episode. Um, I, I've been running a successful business now for the last couple of years. It's, it's hit a really good groove. I actually operate three separate businesses and, uh, and yet uh, three weeks ago, I took a significant five figure a month hit as the result of the coronavirus outbreak. And so two things happen when that happens. Number one is like income quickly, like all, all comfort income is all gone, right? So that, mm. that's number one. Um, and number two is I have all this free time on my hands. Um, and so I did this, I'm doing the same thing now that I did back mm. then. It's for a little bit different of a reason, but my recommendation to anybody, and now I believe is actually a phenomenal time to start a business. Like there is probably no better time for you to start a business than right now, because we are going to see a significant spike in the economy over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, We're going to, we're going to, we're going to hurt for a little bit, but when we turn, it's going to turn fast. And the people that have put in the work are going to, are going to be able to succeed. So all that to say, I believe that like you've got to put all pride aside. You have to put all of the, this is what I should get. This is what I expect to get. You sh- if you're in business truly to deliver a service to other people, which means you really want to help other people, whether that's with a product or service, but that you really want to help other people with whatever it is you offer, then do that, deliver value and allow them in the at least early on allow them to to determine what that value is worth to them over time as you grow and get better at it you could start to turn that but the the good thing that happens in there by the way and this is one of the biggest reasons why I'm doing this is because there's people that are in need and there's people that can't afford to like I've been doing a lot of virtual workshops right now for remote for remote companies. Well, I mean, I could charge five hundred to twenty five hundred dollars to do a forty five minute to one hour virtual workshop. Uh, I, I have in the past. I do regularly, and right now, my commitment to people has been: I will do anything for you in this one hour time domain within kind of like these specific areas that I speak to. You name your price, and if mm. that price is zero. There is no shame in that. And I am absolutely 100% willing to do that because it's my, it's my opportunity to help people. And it's not because right. my income is padded because I need money. I need to put food on the table again. But um, I, I just believe that my service can provide value in ways that uh, money will never replace anyone. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it's almost kind of playing to the environment too in, in the sense that a lot of us don't have much disposable income right now, but right. you can still build that trust, provide that value, mm-hmm. uh, provide that goodwill. And generally, if you do good stuff like that and provide value to the world, it finds a, it finds a funny way of coming back to you. Uh, very cool, Ryan. So you start a few of these, let's call them engagements with your first few clients for whatever the price was that, that they were happy with. 
what happened next? Like, what were those next kind of six to 12 months like? Was, did that period go on for a while? Or at what point did you kind of hit that groove you were talking about, maybe start charging more and, and, and like, let's call it go to the next level? Yeah, so, uh, so I started at the end of 2011. 2012 was probably one of the most brutal years of my life financially. No, it actually, it was the most brutal year of my life financially. Um, so much so that if not for the graciousness of our friends, our family, our local church, literally like dropping gift cards off in our mailbox for restaurants and grocery stores, checks, uh, cashier's checks with nobody's name on them um, to help us buy, I would have never made it. And I was wow. such a prideful human being going into that season of life that I wouldn't even take help from my own family before that. And yet I was humbled to the point where it was like, I, not only did I need this, but this was other people's way of contributing to my life. And so I needed to let it go and just, and, and let it happen. So that's how we got through the majority of 2012. Um, early in 2013, I did hit a really good groove and that went on for almost a year uh, till about the beginning of 2014. And mm -hmm. then- Can, can uh, you go into the details? Like, like what, can you define what you meant by groove? Did, did you start getting referrals, uh, you know, ongoing clients? Like what, and, and what was the click that kind of happened there? Yeah, so it was a couple of things. So I think that I was as confident as I was going into business. I think that I was finding a place where I was really confident in what I was delivering. So I think that, you know, we can say in our head that we've got this, but until we start producing results for people, uh, I think that it's, it's a false sense of confidence or it's just a different type of confidence. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was becoming clear to me. Um, even at the end of 2012, when financially we were still hurting, I was gaining more confidence in my ability to deliver. So that was a big thing. Uh, two was because I was um, able to deliver, then people were beginning to talk a little bit about me just in local circles, right? Like nothing mm -hmm. big, but so I was getting some referrals because I had helped other people. So that was number two. And number three was, was I was getting more clear in terms of the process by which I was delivering my product and service to the people that I was working with. So whereas before, um, I would say, Hey, let me help you with your sales process. Uh, now I can say like, and it's still being refined, you know, day in and day out. But like when I go to consult for an organization now, it's, I've got five steps. I articulate those. And by the time my engagement's done, I deliver an entire playbook over to you that will outlive me uh, as long as your company outlives us both. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, process was really big. So those were the three things uh, that were really important. And as that was happening, uh, I just kept pushing pushing the threshold of price. Um, you know, I believe my value was far more than what I was delivering anyway, uh, but I had to slowly build into that. And I mean, to this day, um, I've still never had a client tell me outright no, strictly because of price. Um, and so I think that that's important is as we continue to evolve as business owners, especially entrepreneurs or small, small business owners, I think that you need to continue to push that threshold of delivering value and asking for um, more and more in return until you find that ceiling. Because I would venture to say that probably 90% of business owners and entrepreneurs out there have not come anywhere close to that ceiling, uh, mm -hmm. but they're too afraid to push it farther. 
Got it. Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree, especially as you're evolving from, we'll call it like a newbie entrepreneur, and you're used to having to scrap your way to even get those sales. Yeah. It's then weird to make that adjustment to uh, to be raising your prices, doubling your prices, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that those are some really good thoughts. Uh, okay, so so then what happened after that year? Yeah. So uh, beginning of 2014, it was like March-ish. Uh, and in a three-week period, I lost 60% of my income due to uh, two client acquisitions. So just they got bought out, they didn't need me anymore or weren't approved to use me. I think it was one and one. Um, and then the other one, our engagement just ended. It was, just, it was time to be done. I, it was a longstanding engagement. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm back in hell. Like, mm -hmm. I, I cannot believe that I've been in this groove for a damn near year. And like, we have extra money as a family. We're starting to like, you know, enjoy going out to eat and doing things. And now it's like, what the hell's going to happen here? So um, I had this probably one of the most pivotal moments. I probably had three or four professionally in my life. Uh, and uh, one of them was uh, this one. So I had sent, been sending out monthly email newsletters uh, and one day I got this res snarky response from a guy that I didn't even recognize his name. So I don't know how he found his way on my email list. I probably spammed him or something, <laughs> but, um, but he responded to me. And so I looked him up on LinkedIn and he looked like a really proven professional. He was local to my area, really good guy. Uh, his name was Dean. And so I'm like, Hmm, I'm going to respond. So I responded back to him and said, Hey, don't know how you found your way on, on to my email list. I said, but I said, I would love to connect over coffee or something like that. And he obliged. And uh, so within like two weeks we went down, uh, or I went down to meet him for lunch and we sat for 90 minutes, maybe two hours. And at the end of that time, for the first time in my life, I had nothing in the moment to offer a value to this person. Like hmm. he was successful, he was networked, he was dialed in. And so I had, again, this huge humbling moment. And I said to him, I said, Dean, I said, I have to be honest with you. I said, I always come into these types of conversations getting ready to provide some sort of value. Um, I said, but I said, I, there's nothing that I can offer you at this time. Mm -hmm. I said, but I said, I have to be connected to your network. I said, the type of people that you are around are the type of people that I need to be doing business with. And it's really going to help me get my business back and going again. Within two weeks, he had provided referrals that more than replaced all that income I had lost a month earlier. Jeez. Like it was unreal. And so like, that's like, that's the awesome part of the story. But, but the, the growth for me was this willingness just to be honest and say, like, I just, I need you. Like I mm -hmm. have, which is crazy, right? Because I told you like, like two years earlier, um, I was broken down and, you know, people were forcing themselves on me to help us financially. How, now here I am needing to learn that lesson two years later, which is the same thing, which is like, idiot, when are you going to realize that you need people? Like you can't do this on your own. Right. And so, um, you know, kind of like the, I don't even want to say the end, but you know, what's been really cool is over the last you know, year or so, um, it's been working in the reverse with he and I. He's been a mentor to me for years, and uh, I've actually been able to invest into him, into his business um, nice. uh, over the last year, year and a half. So it's been pretty amazing that I've been able to return the favor, but um, I never thought I would be able to. So it, right. it, it was just a really cool moment for me professionally. 
Very cool. And and I think there's like a whole book of lessons you could take from that story beyond what you just said. Like what, what I'm pulling from it, even just off the top of my head is number one, having the email list to begin with, mm-hmm. right? If you weren't doing that, there's that, there's no connection there. Uh, number two, the willingness to then humble yourself based on whatever his comment was, respond to his email, ask to meet up, right? Because a lot yeah. of people will respond, but it does, uh, it is some extra effort and usually worth it to actually reach out uh, ask for coffee, ask for lunch, whatever it was. And then, you know, actually at the lunch itself, like you said, being humbled, uh, being honest, being open. And you'd be surprised if you are those things, what other people might, might do for you. Yeah. So that's really great. So would you say then, Ryan, that since then that was a bit of a tipping point and, and things have been, let's say like smoother sailing until a month ago since then, or, or how, how, how's the rest of your career shaped out up, up until now? Ha ha. (laughs) Um, No. So, um, so that went a year. Mm -hmm. uh, And one of the referrals that he, uh, that Dean actually passed to me, um, that went from a two hour a week engagement to about a two day a week engagement. And then in the beginning of 2015, they actually offered me a full time role to come in and lead their sales team. Um, uh, And uh, great CEO good people, but I didn't want a job. And mm-hmm. so I pushed it for a month. Like I just, nope, nope, I, I'm, I'm not good. And then finally the COO called me from a conference in Chicago uh, that she was at. And she said, look it, we finally come to the conclusion. We have to put somebody in this place. If it's not you, it's somebody else. And so I said, okay, let me talk to my wife. I hadn't even told my wife yet because I was like, I just, this is not for us. Yeah. Um, and let's pray about it and we'll see what happens. So I went and talked to my wife. My wife's like, I think you should dig. Um, it's stability. Yes, you've been doing well because now, now my business was doing really well. Um, but it's stability, it's benefits. Uh, and so, um, I started, I I was talking to my coach at the time. I was talking to friends and uh, other like people that I confided in and, you know, and, and and provide some wisdom. And I took that job. Um, and, uh, and hesitantly, because again, I was doing well, but I just, you know, for my family, it was a good season. So, I thought that was going to be seven to 10 years uh, of in that business. And then I would get back into doing what I was doing. So kind of provide some cushion, uh, go back to work for myself. Um, and then um, that company, uh, so that's, that was June of 2015. I went to work there. Uh, in January of 2017, uh, that company dissolved its individual entity, joined together with um, a bunch of other companies across the country uh, to form kind of a national organization that was private equity backed. Uh, a lot of good came of that, but, but there was some challenges that were being faced. And I was having these like nightmares from, you know, years past when I watched this family owned business go publicly traded. It wasn't quite that bad, but still there were some challenges. Right. So I was writing out 2017 and uh, we started having some interpersonal conflict because they wanted to see sales run a certain way. I just didn't believe that was the right way to do things. So I was regularly having to protect my, my people. And um, uh, it was just a difference of opinion. Um, so, uh, so as 2017 was coming to a close, um, in October of 2017, uh, my wife and I and five of our friends uh, were in the crowd uh, at the concert in Las Vegas when the mass shooting took place. Wow. And, um, uh, and one of uh, our best friends that was with us, I was standing shoulder to shoulder with, she was one of the 58 that was killed that night. Wow. Um, 
and so, um, you know, obviously, you know, that's uh, a, a huge moment and, and just, you know, changes your world anyway. But uh, my company was really gracious, you know, do what you need to do. And so about two weeks later, I went back to work. I just needed like some normalcy to, to work. And I was sitting in my office and I had this moment. It was so interesting. I, I literally said to myself, what in the hell are you doing with your life? And it was such an ironic question because I was habitual. I was disciplined. Like if you saw my calendar, my morning routine, my workout structure, like it was dialed. I was mm -hmm. making good money. Um, you know, we were having some interpersonal conflict at work, but nothing crazy. But yet it was this like call to like, are you really doing what you should be doing? And so from that conversation with myself, um, then with my executive coach at the time, uh, with my wife, uh, with a couple of close friends, uh, we worked and worked and worked through it. And uh, in May of 2018, uh, unbeknownst to anybody else, I walked in and resigned my job uh, uh, to my boss and went back full steam ahead uh, into consulting and coaching. And again, at that time, I had a little bit of a cushion, but I had no clients. And so it was almost like starting all over again. Right. Um, and, and so then what I would say was from that point to mid-2018, until a month ago, uh, things have been phenomenal. Like literally 2019 was the most financially successful year of our lives as a family. Uh, it was the most fulfilling uh, year of my life personally. It was, it was really, really amazing. Um, you know, we have a bump in the road, but, uh, but I'm not pessimistic to it yet. Right. That's really incredible, Ryan. And, and I do appreciate you going into such detail because I think it's very important, right? Like that, that's actually one of the reasons why I even started this podcast to begin with was that people, we, we don't really get the true appreciation of the struggle. You know, we see, you know, your website, we see other people's Instagram pages, we see the end results uh, and we don't always get to appreciate what went into that, the, the story behind it. So I, I really do appreciate your your honesty. As you referred to earlier, it seems to be a common trait, which is awesome. There were a lot of resets for you. Uh, <laughs> like, and, and we've had over, at this point, over 60 other successful solopreneurs on the show. Most of them have one, maybe two resets, right? Maybe mm -hmm. like you, like you get fired and then they start their business and then eventually their business does well for you for a variety of reasons there were multiple restarts and you were still able to come back from them and now better than ever what would you recommend to people or or what would you think are the two or three things you can say that people should focus on when they're at that starting point cuz like you mentioned earlier now is a great time some people due to necessity or just due to the opportunity, because there are a lot of opportunities out there today, uh, mm -hmm. will be starting up soon or have already started. What, what would you say your two or three best pieces of advice are? So, so one of the first things I think is super important, especially when we're facing a season of some sort of challenge or difficulty, th this can be even if you do this by choice, but um, you have to ask the why question, but not why is this happening to me? I, that can be part of it, but I think that we need to take a big step back and understand why this situation is happening at all. Because mm -hmm. we may be going through a challenge that has nothing to do with us. Like we are just a vessel or a vehicle by which we are going to be able to support, encourage, grow somebody else. And it sucks that we have to be the one to bear 
the crap, but that may be the reason. And so when it's just why me or why is this happening to me, I think that it's just, I understand because I, I ask that question of myself. I've asked it a lot. So I'm not mm -hmm. saying I, I haven't done it, but I just think that that's a narrow question to ask when it's a much broader opportunity for us to ask the why question. So that's right. number one. Number two then is, is how do I grow through this? That, that has got to be the next question that we ask. So once we understand just from the macro, like why is this going on? Like right now, again, right, we're in this season of like, we don't know. Like, yes, we understand that there's this virus and there's these things spreading and like all these challenges are happening, but what's the point? Like it's, it's, it's far more than just like we, we came up short and being able to deliver quickly on like medical necessity or something like that. Like, you know, it, it's, it's big. So we've got to make sure we ask that question, but then it's okay. So how do I grow from this? What, what do I learn from this? And, and that for me has been the biggest like opportunity in my entire life. Because even if you were to ask that question in the midst of like, uh, if it's with your spouse or with a boss or with a friend and you have a, a challenging conversation, you have a difference of opinion, you have an argument, you have a fight, you have a war. It's like, how can I grow from this? Not what's my responsibility in this? Not like what's what's their fault? Like not like nothing. How can I grow from this? There's, we always have some sense of, or some sort of responsibility. And so that has given me, I believe, a level of self-awareness that not many people truly have. They will say they do, but they don't. And that's actually what I believe is one of my greatest gifts as a coach is the fact that I have become so self-aware with still a ton of room to grow that I'm able, able to help other people do the same thing. So that's the second question then is, is so then growth uh, personally. And then the third question is, is what can I do for other people? And so that then turns to how can I, again, regardless of the situation that I'm facing, good, bad, or indifferent, how can I find a way with the seat I'm sitting in and the situation that I'm in right now, how can I help somebody else through whatever they're going through? Because I believe that does two things that helps us, maybe that, maybe even all three, maybe that helps us with that big macro challenge anyway, or big macro question, but it helps us to demonstrate that, that moment, those moments of self-reflection around self-awareness, like how I'm growing. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel good, right? It, it's fulfilling. Even when we're down in the gutter, when we can help somebody else, somebody else up out of the gutter, it feels really freaking good. So that's there, but also I feel like it begins to, to help us showcase our strongest skills, our strongest gifts and talents. And so like you brought up accounting earlier, which is like numbers, like I, I, I'm good at them. I hate them. Mm -hmm. And so, but yet think about it, like as an accountant right now, uh, or somebody in the financial world, like nobody knows like what the hell their personal finances, their company's finances, or the government's finances are going to look like other than we can at least say that one's going to be ugly a year from now or six mm -hmm. months from now. But if you have a gift in that area and you could sit down with me and help me actually understand what those numbers are for me and how I can best set myself up moving forward, oh my gosh, like 
that's a huge gift. And I think mm-hmm. that we can do that. Like I have a friend that's an artist and uh, right now she, she's really struggling financially and she was successful going into this. And so she has been um, uh, drawing personal portraits of other people, really small personal portraits, like 15 bucks a piece. Uh, she's been posting them on Instagram and yes, that helps her business, but it's been giving people the opportunity to watch themselves be drawn because in addition to the portrait, she's also uh, sending them the video of the process, like the time-lapse video for actually painting them. Right. And so it makes them feel so good. And so she's blessing them by doing that. She is continuing to refine her skills and what she's really good at and loves to do. So I think just those three questions are so important. Like all the rest of them, I think, begin to be naturally answered as we start taking steps. But it's those three that I think we often skip over because we automatically go to, okay, so what does my product have to look like in order for me to make money? Right. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. We need to make money or we don't eat. But I just feel like that, that that's a natural outcome of I need to get clear on what I'm good at and how I can help other people. Absolutely. No, th- those are three... Pretty great question, some of which I'll probably reflect on uh, at, at some point this week. <laughs> Ryan, you alluded to uh, a few minutes ago about having a great routine. I'm interested to know, uh, have you maintained it? And what was it and or what is it right now? Uh, and, you know, morning, evening routine, daily, you know, weekly routine. And, uh, and how is that attributed to it, to any success? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, uh, I have this uh, process by which I coach people too. So I always test things out on myself far before I, um, uh, I, I put them on other people. And so one of the big things I did going into 2019 was I scrapped all my goals. I did not set a single goal in 2019. That was the first time in at least 10 years I didn't do that. Um, and, and so my kind of, um, my test on myself was if I just got clear on who I was and then um, produced or executed on the actions, uh, the functions uh, that I believe that that was that person, I think I can live a really fulfilled life and I think I can really do well. It seemed to work out really well. Uh, And so what those were for me, I call them functions, but basically that's habits and disciplines. Those things all centered around who I was and what was important to me. So those were Um, so first is, and again, this is, I don't believe that this is a necessity for everybody. This is just a description of what's worked for me. So I get up at 4.59. I had been getting up at 4.59 every single morning. I'll tell you how I've pivoted in the last couple of weeks, but 4.59. And the reason it was 4.59, it was because I just wanted the principle of beating my, uh, beating the clock to 5 a.m. There was just something Mm -hmm. about that. It was just something inside my head. The most important thing there though was, and this is what I believe is prescri- should be prescription for everybody, is I didn't hit snooze. And I don't care what time you get up. Get up at 10 a.m. That's fine. Just don't hit snooze because I believe that like we've committed to a time of waking up and when we hit snooze, we have failed our first opportunity to win in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was number one was that then between 4:59 when I got up out of bed and 6 AM, which is when I step into the gym, uh, I CrossFit. And so it's a 6 AM class, six to 7 AM, but I had a, a disciplined habit of not touching my phone, um, going to my Bible, reading that first, some passage of scripture. Second was I was reading the morning brew every single morning. Uh, just a great short hit of uh, information, you know, out in the world today. I love the way that they write. Um, then I would uh, read 15 minutes of some book 
um, that I had, uh, and then I would go off to the gym. And so I was mm. able to do all those things before I even got into the gym. Then I would go to the gym. And so by seven o'clock, I was home, I would get showered, take my kid to school. So that part of the day was critical for me uh, because it set the rest of my, my day into motion and it really fueled all these small wins that helped my mindset be right as I was going forward for the rest of the day. Right. Now, uh, oh, by the way, the other big thing that I focused on in terms of habit and routine and this started in 2019 as well, was uh, a minimum of seven hours of sleep a night. Uh, I used to be the four to five hour guy, like I was Superman and I could do it. Um, then I started reading all of these studies around just how bad that is for your cognitive uh, brain function and then mm -hmm. just health overall. And as I focused on that, that became huge. So that means I have to go to bed by, you know, be laying down by like 9.30. So I'm like dead asleep by 10 o'clock. And I wear a, a whoop strap to, to help me do that. So um, so, so that was important how that's pivoted because this is important for people to know is like, so my gym is closed right now. And so I can't get into the gym at six and I cannot be working out in the garage, dropping weights from overhead at six o'clock in the morning because my kids will lose their mind. Mm -hmm. So, um, and be, so then because I'm breaking that routine, I'm now susceptible to picking up my phone, to just goofing around to doing some other things. So I've had to fight for a routine but now, and actually it's just been this week, I've pivoted to actually I had to wake up at 4, 4.30 on Monday, but um, uh, I'm up by seven o'clock and I'm trying to follow the same habits of reading um, uh, before I get started on my day. But then gets, getting started on my day now is, now I start working, I'm producing content, I'm, I'm virtually working with clients, uh, and then I'm hitting my gym time later on in the afternoon when it's just more appropriate for me to be able to do it at home. Got it. And, and what about in the evening? Anything specific? Uh, how, how do you, what do you do right before bed? How, how important is that? Because I find getting up early, which is, you know, hugely beneficial. I feel like half that battle is just making sure you get to bed early enough. <laughs> then it becomes a lot easier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so this is really, really hard. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, again, making sure my whole family knows that at 9.30 I'm going to bed. And with an 18-year-old uh, that is impervious to the world and a 10-year-old that thinks that she is, um, and then a wife who, who typically stays up a little bit later, that was a shift and it still has been kind of a fight. And so as much as my wife and I try to go to bed together every single night at the same moment, sometimes I just have to get up and say I'm going to bed. And... Um, that's not good for my marriage long-term. That's not good for my sex life long-term. And so um, it, it's going to take a shift, but because we're all in this together, especially my wife, you know, she, she has fought really hard to help along that route as well. Um, a couple of other things that were super helpful. Uh, so uh, post uh, Route 91 shooting, I started dealing with a lot more anxiety and was having trouble, especially falling asleep, um, just visions and dreams and some of that stuff has subsided but still the anxiety is there and so mm -hmm. I started taking CBD uh, it's a, a, a mix of CBD and melatonin 
Uh, and, uh, and so that's been super helpful about helping with sleep consistency. And then not too long ago, uh, one of my clients uh, is uh, one of the largest distributors of the blue light blocking glasses. Uh, and so he was awesome. He hooked my whole family up with blue light blocking glasses. Uh, we haven't been as good about wearing them lately because again, we're just all so off of routine, but putting those things on an hour before bed has been super helpful as well. And then, you know, in bed, like no touching devices, like that, you know, they're in do not disturb mode. Um, and so those things have been really helpful to try and get to bed earlier. But again, you know, the last couple of weeks have been a lot more challenging because just everybody's routine is off and it's just really easy to sit on the couch and Netflix. Oh, sure. by the way, the one other thing I should say, and I, I'm sorry, I kind of like run on with some of these things, but so especially as, oops, especially as an entrepreneur, I think one of the most important things that we need to do is make sure that we are not sacrificing one side of life for another. Um, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe that these things are all integrated together. But for me, that was so important that I have committed to, I shut my work off by six o'clock every single night, just as if I was working at a company and able to come home. Now, right. there's extenuating circumstances where I do some things after hours, but that's rare. And so that's been helpful for my evening routine too, because I don't get caught up in a bunch of work stuff for hours on end. That's taking away from my family time. That's taking away from my sleep. That then mm -hmm. ruins my morning routine. Yeah. And it's so easy, especially when you're working from home to, uh, to not have that kind of end of the day time slotted. And then next thing you know, it's 6.30 and then the next day it's 7 and, and 7.30, yep. et cetera. Yep. Ryan, this has been uh, extremely insightful for, for a long variety of reasons. Uh, I really appreciate it. One last question is, what would your last piece or two of advice be to people given the circumstances right now? If, if you could almost kind of summarize your, your approach or, or, you know, if you have like a guiding principle or two in, in terms of business, especially given the circumstances right now, what would you want to leave people with? Yeah, so it sounds really fluffy, but um, it's super duper practical. And it is, you know, if you want the most out of the life that you have been given to live, you have got to be more of yourself. And so that means you have to know yourself, you have to be yourself, and then you have to become the best version of yourself. I mean, it is, that's what it is all about. It's the most fulfilling thing that we can do. It will likely produce the most reward, whether that's very practical financial or just this fulfillment and freedom. Uh, and so really that for me is what I speak the most about. If you're watching this, uh, my hat says it, be authentic. It's a brand that I represent. And it's just super duper important for me to help people become that person. Uh, and then I help them practically apply that to uh, you know, their career and different roles that they're in and sales and all types of other things. Awesome. Great message and great segue into my last, last question, which is if, if people like what they heard, if they want to find out more, if they want to work with you, where can they find out about you, your company, social media, any of that good stuff? Yeah. So I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn uh, and Instagram. And uh, so I'm sure you can share those uh, links in the notes for people, uh, but those are two places on social. And then my website, I'm actually getting ready to launch uh, the next round of my foundations uh, group coaching. Uh, so that is uh, virtual uh, Zoom meetings with four to six 
people total. I facilitate every conversation uh, and uh, we've been getting a lot of traction, helping people to build that foundation and then really produce far more, both in their business life and in their personal life. Uh, and so you can find that by going to my website, ryanjamesmiller.com slash foundations. Uh, and that will, uh, next group will launch at the end of April and then another one will launch about two weeks later. Awesome. And we'll have links to all those in the description, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite platform. Ryan, thanks again for coming on the show, being honest with us, being open about your, your history, the ups, the downs, the restarts, and, and your personal strategies, personal life too. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Hey everyone, Josh here, checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content, such as what's going on in the background of my Solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.